Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning. I'm back. Hello. I've missed She's you so much. Back. That's Paul Perot. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good Hope morning. you had a great time off. I did. I did. I had a great time off. When I logged onto my computer this morning, I realized I had literally not taken it out of the bag in a week, and that's pretty good for me. That is very good for yeah, you. Yeah, that's really good. So I've missed you. What have you been up to? You can text me 877 933 Where have you been? Who have you seen? What have you done? I need to know it all. All right. What day is it? By the way, if you're just joining us, I'm Carmen LaBurge. And you had a wonderful week last week with Peter Kapsner, but he's not me. (laughs) And I'm back. So this is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Um, If you you don't know about us, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. If you are listening today and you're like, hey, I want um, one of those articles that she referenced in one of those conversations, those those are all now um, aggregated for you in the show notes, which we post following the show at MyFaithRadio.com and uh, everywhere that the podcast is available. So um, you ought to subscribe to the podcast and that way every day you'll also get the notes. There you go. Um, There you go. There you have it. That's the genius of technology. I'm thankful for it. And to Ryan Mitchell, who puts all that together every single day. So what day is it? Well, it's Monday. It's Monday. Um, He doesn't know it yet, but I'm giving Neil Stavum, who is retiring um, from his position here, I am giving him a clock that doesn't have hours on it, but it does have the days of the week on it. It's just called a day clock. Sounds good. I know. Do you think that sounds good? And I might need one, too, Paul, because sometimes I lose track of the day of the week. Yeah, I it know. does happen. It I does know. happen. Today's Monday. Monday, Monday. It's June the 20th, 2022. Here are some things I know. It is American Eagle Day. It is Hike with a Geek Day, <laughs> which I don't think is a big stretch for hikers. Mm. I feel like if you're hiking, in all likelihood, you're hiking with a geek. Yeah. I'm just, I, it's just possible. If you're hiking with me, you're hiking with a geek. There you go. There you go. It's Ice Cream Soda Day and also Vanilla Milkshake Day, which I feel like covers lots of the bases. It may also be the day that wherever you are, you break a heat record. Paul, uh, you were telling me that it's like it's like hot uh, in yes. lots of places. Yes. Uh, one of the hottest How places. How far do you have to go? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fargo. They, I think it was 101 yesterday. They're looking at something similar Ooh, today. It's like... Goodness. It's a good day for cribbage. Cribbage. Right. That's inside, a nice indoor... Do something, yes. do something indoor. Monopoly. Play some Monopoly. Have an ice cream soda. Yeah. Um, in the uh, Northern Hemisphere... It is well. I guess it's. I guess it's the day after Father's Day everywhere. But in the Northern Hemisphere, it's also the day before the day, which we will say is the longest day of the year. It's in fact not the longest day of the year. It's just the day that we have the greatest number of hours of light. So there, it's the most light day of summer the year. solstice. It's a good day to talk about light. I yes. feel like we'll hold that for tomorrow. Tomorrow's theme will be light. There you go. In case you were wondering, today is also World Refugee Day. It's the day that um, the United Nations helps us focus on the plight of the tens of millions now 
very near 100 million people um, around the world who are refugees living of necessity outside of their homeland. And so uh, today is World Refugee Day. Today's also a federal holiday here in the United States of America, so don't try to go to the bank. It'll be closed. Uh, the post office will be closed. Other things will be closed. We're not closed. It is a day that celebrates um, freedom. It encourages progress. It honors African-American people and their voices and their heritage here in the United States. So Juneteenth celebrations may be going on where you live. Really good article posted at the Gospel Coalition, um, nine things to know about Juneteenth, if you want to read in on that. Um, here, here was a thought that I had this morning. Uh, oh, today may be the first day of vacation Bible school. Like, right? Maybe the first day of vacation. Maybe the first day of the first job after graduating from high school or college. Today may be the day you become a mom or a dad. It may be the day you become a, an aunt or an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa. It may be the day that someone you love passes from this life into the life to come. Today might be that day. Which brings me to the real point of this exercise, what is today? Because whatever else today may be, This is the day the Lord has made. Today has the potential to be the day of salvation for someone who does not yet know the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today could be that day. June 20th, 2022 could be that day for someone, maybe for you, maybe you. Today could be the day that marks your life like no other day. Today could be the day of salvation. The day of salvation becomes then your rebirth day. The day you put on a life map as a point of reference that sets off every other day. The day you recognize you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The day you turned intentionally from sin and welcomed Jesus to be both Savior and Lord. The day you accepted the invitation of the king to the feast and the wedding and the kingdom of heaven. The day you said yes to the pursuing love of God and knelt in humility before him, acknowledging both your need and his glory. Today could be that day in your testimony. Today could be that day in your witness. It's a brand new day, my friends. It's the day the Lord has made. What else might it be? Let's give ourselves afresh to the Lord this day and let him make of this day what he will. Sound good? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. If you're just joining us, I'm Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Faith Radio. Um, We love you. We have prayed for you already this morning. Um, We have acknowledged before the Lord our God that what we do each and every day um, is to his glory and hopefully to your edification. That's right. I mean, you are the reason that I get up and do this every day. Uh, Yeah, because, you know, sleeping in is nice. But getting up and sharing time with you before the Lord is even better. So, good morning. Uh, So, a couple of you um, responded to my invitation to fill me in on where you are and what you've been up to in the week that I have been away. Thank you, by the way, so much for um, giving Peter Kapsner your attention here last week. And text in, uh, let's see. 
Anne texted in, where did I go on vacation? Um, mostly I went home, um, but I also went with my sister to a really pretty place in Georgia called Barnsley Gardens that's lovely. Uh, Mary texted in um, where she is in the word of the Lord this morning, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. She says, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Amen. Thanks so much for that, Mary. Appreciate that. Psalm 14 is on um, my heart and mind this morning. So the opening verses of Psalm 14 say this, which by the way, if you're new to this conversation, one of the things I like to ask is where in the word are you today? Where in the word are you today? I mean, it matters where in the world you are, but it matters more where in the word you are. To be found in the one who is the living word of God, that is Jesus Christ. So let us be found in Christ today. But let us also be found as people seeking him through the word of God in the Old and New Testaments of the scriptures. So where in the word are you today? I I am deeply convicted that uh, we need to be people who are in the word of God, that the word of God might so saturate and fill our lives that when we are squeezed by the world, and we will be, what comes out of us is the very word of God. I actually um, met a woman, I'm going to get to Psalm 14 here in just a second, but I met a woman um, on Friday, pretty sure it was Friday, uh, and she and I um, happened to sit next to one another at, at an event, and she's from Dalton, Georgia, and she is one of those people who literally, um, scripture, scripture just pours forth, and not not in a in any sort of strange way, but in this like natural um she brings the word of God into literally not just every conversation but like every every exchange in the conversation. There is a scripture that she brings to bear in this just most delightful way. I was you know God's got something to say about everything, and because the Word of God is so fully in her, she, it just pours forth. I, I was uh, anyway. I, 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 as you can tell, I was stunned and amazed and delighted, um, and I'm so thankful that uh, God is knitting His Word into the hearts and minds of believers in order that we would have a testimony, we would have a word of God to bear on on everything. So Psalm 14. And I'm reading these verses this morning for a purpose and on purpose. So here we go. Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The psalmist then goes on to say they're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any, any who understand, any who seek after God. But they've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who, do, who does good, not even one. We're going to turn in just a moment to the findings of the most recent, recent Gallup poll where they asked this question, do you believe in God? The number of Americans who believe in God has dropped to its lowest level in the 78 years that Gallup has been asking the question. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You got something to say If you're living, if you're breathing You got something to say you know Alright, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen I am Carmen LaBurge I, uh, thank you thank you so much for your comments on the text line this morning again. Love to hear from you 877-933-2484 
Um, Jeff uh, has uh, has a comment here. I'd say you've almost caught up with where you left off. <laughs> I'm going to talk really fast and see if I can catch all the way off, uh, all the way up with where I left off. Um, Jim uh, in Simsbury, Connecticut, says that uh, Peter did a really good job last week, which, of course, we will tell Peter and then we will. Yeah, we will see if he can get back through the door. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll, we'll find ways to uh, We will find ways to compliment Peter and love on him. <laughs> uh, we totally appreciate, totally appreciate um, his willingness to cover when, um, when I'm not here. It's just such a blessing. Many of you texting in, uh, uh, Cecile starting a study today in the book of Judges. That is a really good um, book to be in right now. Cecile, you know, pay attention there to those cycles in the book of Judges. Um, pretty amazing, um, pretty amazing to read the cycles and judges and to note the number of times that God, um, God takes note of the fact that people do what's right in our own eyes. And when, when that happens, um, things do not go well for us, which brings me back around to the latest Gallup poll. Gallup for the last 78 years has been asking one question consistently over time, um, in a survey of, uh, of Americans and one I mean, they've been asking a series of questions, but one of those questions is about just straight up belief in God. And, you know, we, we've talked about the state of the Bible, the state of the Bible report with the American Bible Society, um, which, you know, had noted that Bible engagement dropped off considerably last year in the U.S. We've talked about the state of the church report done with Ligonier and, and others. We've talked uh, with Barna. Um, with George Barna about um, uh, uh, about what they're noting in terms of biblical worldview. We've talked with Barna Research about what they are seeing in terms of church engagement and involvement. Like all of the signals are negative, right? And so it doesn't surprise me that Gallup has found um, evidence that fewer people in the United States of America acknowledge a belief in God. Now, I say that carefully. I say that carefully. Because it could be that the numbers really haven't changed in terms of people actually believing in God, but people's willingness to publicly acknowledge to uh, to a surveyor that they don't believe in God, it could be that that is what has risen. Do you see the difference? It's possible that we've been functional atheists for a long time, and now we're just willing to just be straight up atheists. So I recognize that what has risen is the percentage of adults willing to say that they don't believe in God. Do you see the difference? So if, um, if up to this point, something in the neighborhood of 90% of, uh, of American adults have said they believed in God. So from 1944 to 2011, more than 90% of Americans said they believed in God. That's a pretty long trend, very high percentage um, now, uh, well, in 2017, it dipped below, um, below 90%. And, and now we are at 81%. So 81% of U.S. adults say they believe in God. Now, God is not defined, by the way, in the survey. All right. So here we're talking about God in the most general of terms. We're not necessarily talking about uh, the reality of the God revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the one true God. We're just talking about, do you believe in God? Straight up question, do you believe in God? According to this new um, Gallup survey, 81% of 
of U.S. adults say they believe in God. That's down six points in just five years. That's that's pretty precipitous decline in belief in God. Belief in God dropped uh, most precipitously, which is just a fun word to say, among young adults, people who identify as uh, politically liberal, um, and with people who don't go to church. Okay, that, that last one like is no surprise to me like <laughs> at all. So um, who's most likely to believe in God? People who identify as politically conservative, people who are married, and people who go to church. Again, that last one does not surprise me at all. So what do those who reject God have in common? They're not married. They are college educated and they don't attend church. That is pretty much what, um, uh, you know, is the mix right now. So college educated single adults who are not in church. That's who you're looking for. I'm just saying, if you're going to say to yourself, you know, everybody that I know believes in God. All right, then go look for people who don't. Because this is actually who we are commissioned as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom, who we are commissioned to go today and share the good news of the gospel with. I I mean, it's, you know, it's not about us trying to get people to, you know, switch churches. It's about us going and seeking to save, seeking to share the good news of the gospel with those who are lost. And let me just tell you, if you straight up say you don't believe in God, you, that, that's, you're easy. That's a that's easy in terms of who should I be sharing the gospel with? Because it's it's not about uh, having to peel away some you know esoteric layer of bad theology. They straight up don't believe in God. Psalm fourteen one addresses that. Now I'm not saying you just go right to him and say you fool, but that's what's going on. There is a foolishness afoot. And you are a person possessed of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And God knows that person. And God knows how to reach that person. And God loves that person. And God wants that person. So, um, you say to yourself, I don't know. I I view the growing percentage of Americans who say they don't believe in God, I view that as bad news and a threat. I view that as good news and an opportunity. So, it's all about perspective. Like, atheism is back. Just just coming right out and saying you don't believe in God is actually good news for those of us who are interested in sharing the gospel because it makes the target easier to hit. The pool of non-believers is big in our culture. Some 60 million people now is who we're talking about. 60 million people who say they don't believe in God. That's a lot of folks. Um, so... Atheism is easier to address than apathy. Real atheism is easier to address than functional atheism. So I want us to be listening for words and ideas that are adopted and borrowed from the theistic worldview and then simply ask why. Why do you make reference to the Good Samaritan? Why, why, do, you, um, why, do, you, uh, why do you think that there should be justice? Why do you think that racism is bad? Why do you... Um, why do you think that men and women should be equal? <laughs> okay, all of those are biblical worldview testimony questions. You cannot rob all of the goodness out of the Christian gospel and reject the God to whom it all belongs. So you and I have an opportunity. We have an opportunity 
um, to share the good news of the gospel with others uh, today. And a high, an increasingly high percentage of them do not believe uh, in God. All right. Um, I, I got like 16 other things I want to talk about, but I'm out of time. Can I tell, do I have time for one story, Paul, you think, if it's quick? Do one, yes. Okay. You got a minute. All right. Oh, here's my one minute story. So um, this is a delightful story. If you have ever thought to yourself, you know what, I don't really have anything at this age and stage of life to share with somebody in the older generation. Here's an idea for you. Sit down and ask them if you can read the Bible to them. I met a guy last week. He's like 55. Um, his dad, um, who is obviously, his dad's like 90. And his dad said something about, you know, well, the Bible says, and this guy confronted him. is like, dad, you, you don't know what the Bible says. You've never read the Bible. I know you've never read the Bible. Like, it's not in you. And so the dad says, well, I don't think you've ever read the Bible either. And so sort of in this, they decided, all right, well, let's read the Bible. At which point in time, this 55-year-old found out that his 90-year-old dad couldn't read. Didn't know his whole life. His dad's a trucker. Didn't know his whole life that his dad couldn't read. So he's been reading the Bible to his dad. Um, and that is leading both of them to be like, you know, the Bible's full of all kinds of crazy stories. Like, this is totally crazy. This is nuts. Like, what's going on? Which has then led them to do some research and ask some questions. And I love that. So there you go. There you go. Read the Bible with someone if you're looking for a way to introduce the God who is. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, you're going to read in the headlines. We're here in the headlines today. There's a couple of states now with no abortion clinics, Oklahoma, South Dakota. Planned Parenthood is no longer going to be offering abortions in Wisconsin uh, after appointments that are already set for something like the 25th. Um, the FBI is now investigating terror attacks on pregnancy clinics across the country. We're going to be talking about that in just a moment with Daniel Bennett. Um, Pro-abortion protesters have now reached the home of Justice Amy Coney Barrett in Virginia. Uh, lots going on on the question of the Supreme Court being set to announce whether it will overturn the landmark abortion case known as Roe v. Wade. This is the Dobbs case. Um, and there's all kinds of polling related to it. And I want to talk with Daniel Bennett about what national law enforcement is expecting in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling. Um, and I'm also reminded every time that we talk about abortion that there's lots of people listening, men and women, who have experienced an abortion in the past. And I'm reminded of the conversations that we've had with post-abortive women, um, ministries like Rachel's Vineyard and Heartbeat International and every crisis pregnancy center in the country. So let's not just be praying for one another. Let's be willing to have very open and honest conversations. Abortion is not a women's health issue. Abortion is a moral issue. It's a societal issue. It's a church issue. It's a family issue. It's a men's issue. It's a kingdom issue. And abortion is not a right. But the confusion surrounding that in our country is great. So we need to be equipped for the conversation. And those who are listening who have a testimony about how abortion has affected you and your family and your spiritual life, it's going to be time for you to come forward, come to the fore, because you're going to have to lead us in this conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Daniel Bennett joins me next. Dr. Daniel Bennett is back from John Brown University, the Uneasy Citizenship blog and the forthcoming book by the same name. Good morning, sir. Good morning. All right. So um, I am looking at the calendar 
There are some dates this week that the Supreme Court will be uh, releasing their decisions on some cases. They've got June 21 and June 23. Um, so it could be tomorrow. Um, arguably, the most controversial case that, that we'll be hearing about is the Dobbs v. Jackson case that would potentially overturn the Roe v. Wade decision. They've also got some dates later in the month, June 27, 28 and 30. But here's the reality. I mean, you know, we've got we've got little time left um, between now and when the Supreme Court decision in this case is going to uh, is going to drop. And um, the Department of Homeland Security is expecting even more violence um, following the decision. So can you just brief us in on what's going on? Yeah, so obviously, I mean, I knew, I imagine your listeners are familiar with uh, violence against pro-life uh, pregnancy help centers, pregnancy resource centers, vandalism, et cetera, threats from, from certain groups anticipating an unfavorable decision in Dobbs. And uh, like any other sort of domestic uh, violence, at least on the home front, uh, Homeland Security is going to be monitoring this. Uh, particularly when these these threats are are clearly stated and f- fairly specific in terms of what they're suggesting. I remember I, I saw one statement recently, basically saying, you know, uh, th- there's been an opportunity to uh, reach a peaceful settlement here. It hasn't happened, and so basically they're letting uh, their more aggressive uh, tactics out of the bag. Uh, presuming uh, Dobbs does not go in their in their favor, so it's something they're going to be watching, and uh, it's something I certainly think we should be praying for, not just in terms of violence, but also just in terms of the aftermath of Dobbs. And like you suggested, it's looking it's looking like uh, Roe v. Wade will be significantly curtailed, if not outright overruled. That's going to be a pretty uh, watershed moment in our country's history. Dozens of pro-life pregnancy centers um, and churches that are known to be pro-life have been targeted by, uh, in particular, an organization called Jane's Revenge. Um, they publicly, this this group publicly takes responsibility for uh, vandalism and uh, and even the firebombing of pro-life pregnancy centers across the country. You see the tagging of their buildings with things like um, this, you know, fake clinic or God loves abortion or hands off my body, or those kinds of things. They have declared online that it is, quote-unquote, open season um, and plan to target more clinics. I know there's a clinic in Des Moines that has been that has been targeted, and others um, have come into view as well. When, when we talk about um, the right that we have as American citizens to protest, to, like, right, to register our protest, could you remind us, what that means, and then help us understand what that does not mean? Sure. Well, obviously, I mean, the right to protest and criticize is sacrosanct in many ways in America. Uh, We can write letters, we can go on marches, we can confront members of Congress, we can write emails, we can make phone calls. Uh, That does not mean, of course, we have the right to, say, burn a cross on somebody's uh, property. It does not mean we have the right to throw a brick through a window in the form of uh, First Amendment expression. You might say, well, throwing this brick through this window is my First Amendment uh, free speech uh, because it's political expression directed at this pro-life pregnancy help center. Uh, There are limits to to First Amendment activities, of course, and that's a longer conversation. Um, So, you know, obviously, you know, firebombing clinics and uh, vandalizing and threatening 
uh, with, with a likelihood of action. These are not protected forms of political expression, just like the more extreme elements, if we were to go back to the 1980s, for example, the more extreme elements of the uh, the pro-life movement uh, bombing abortion clinics and killing abortion doctors. I mean, that's not obviously political expression. That's a crime. And so it's interesting the pendulum has swung back now with this decision poised to come down. Similar tactics are being adopted uh, on the opposite spectrum. Yeah, I, I that was that is not lost on me um, that the targeting of abortion clinics in the past, um, which is equally wrong to the targeting of pro-life pregnancy centers today. And I do think, Daniel, that that is a good check on the way we're thinking about ourselves and political speech, right? It's it's yeah. somehow so easy to see it as wrong when someone is targeting a pro-life pregnancy center and somehow, you know, give a pass at some level well, to somebody who targeted a, you know, a place where abortions were being provided in the past. Sure. And I, I do think that there are, I mean, I, I think the people who were on the more extreme end back in the 1980s, it was not a universally praised uh, form of of protest and, and expression, obviously, by those in the pro-life movement. There was plenty of uh, distancing from those in the pro-life movement. And I'd hope for, and this is going to be key, I would hope for uh, vocal opposition and statements distancing themselves from this uh, vandalism, from this potential violence at these pro-life clinics in the in the weeks ahead, from significant and important members of the pro-choice community, uh, particularly those in the current administration. I think the president needs to come out after the decision is announced, assuming it goes the way we think it will. And uh, this is going to be a key moment in his presidency. Obviously, uh, he, he's going to disagree with the decision, uh, but he's also the leader of the country, and he has the opportunity to uh, speak to people in a way that is hopefully going to simmer down some of these tensions. Um, it also goes for interest groups who are pro-choice. Um, and, and I think that's going to be interesting to watch in the weeks ahead. How are they responding to potential violence? Are they encouraging it with a wink-wink and a nod, or are they hopefully going to say, look, this violence has no place in our system. There are ways we can protest. This is not one of them. So let me encourage you, if you're listening right now, um, find out what the Pro-Life Pregnancy Center is in your community if you do not know. Um, and stop by. Give them a call. Mm. Send them an email. Uh, do something. Actually be an ally to those in your local community who are providing pro-life pregnancy resources reach out to your crisis pregnancy center um, and find out what you can do to come alongside them, encourage them, pray for them, financially support them, whatever it looks like. Um, show up with your bucket and your rag and your broom if uh, if necessary. Like be an actual ally. Um, you know, show up and do something proactive today on behalf of a pro-life pregnancy center in your community. Hey, Daniel, also on this, um, you know, on this Supreme Court front. Um, can you just talk with us a little bit about sort of like why this is the Supreme Court's process? I mean, doesn't it feel like we should know, like set a firm date and tell us what it is so we can all get ready. Instead, it's like, uh, it's just yeah. like this, like so just this breathless waiting. It's weird. Yeah. 
it's it's very strange when you compare it to the other branches of government. Uh, Congress, you can get on their calendar and see what they're doing today. The president has a daily schedule. The Supreme Court has generally been shrouded in secrecy. There are no cameras in the courtroom. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors unless when the justices tell us about it. Uh, we think that uh, the opinion writing process is you know, almost done in some of these cases, but we won't know until the decisions are announced. And I think part of that is maybe a function of where we are as a society in terms of how we get our information. Uh, 50 years ago, you know, without 24-7 news media, the internet, uh, that was just more of a standard practice of waiting. But for those of us who are, you know, more used to getting information right away, uh, the, the court's antiquated pr process is a bit <laughs> unusual. So we don't know when the decisions are going to be announced. We know how many cases they're su supposed to be ruling on based on the cases they've heard over the past few months. And uh, SCOTUS blog, if you're curious, has a really good primer on what cases are remaining. Uh, SCOTUSblog.org, com, one of them. And uh, they'll tell you uh, when the when the decisions are coming out, at least what days they'll be announced. And then you'll have to be waiting to see if tomorrow or Thursday or later in the month we'll get one of those decisions. Um, which maybe leads us back around to the conversation about the leak. Like one mm -hmm. of the reasons that we're having the conversations that we are having about the potential of the decision in the Dobbs case is because we do have this leaked opinion uh, drafted by Justice Alito, but we think it's an early in the process opinion, um, yes. and we don't expect it to be the final opinion. In in fact, it, the 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 ruling could be a reverse of what's in the leak. Do we know anything more about the leak or the leaker? Like I I don't see anything new that we know on this in like a month. No, the Chief Justice uh, a little while ago announced an investigation that would uh, look into personal email accounts and phone numbers to try to determine if people at the court were having communications with journalists. There was some concern about uh, a chilling effect on, on, on future communications. But no, as far as we know, the investigation, <laughs> this gets back to the secrecy at the court. Uh, we think the investigation's ongoing, uh, but we don't we don't know that for sure. And I think your point earlier is really, really good one about we we have this leaked opinion from Justice Alito. It was from February. So it was very likely an early cut of an opinion. Uh, remember, the decision was argued or the case was argued in December, and it was a very lengthy dis lengthy opinion that we saw. Um, it's very likely that decision will change, at least somewhat, maybe not in terms of outcome, but certainly probably in terms of substance and tone. And it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that the decision we get uh, with Dobbs uh, is not what we're expecting. I'm not necessarily I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but uh, it's possible that maybe Justice Alito's opinion, while a majority at the time, could be a concurring opinion. And so maybe the decision doesn't go as far as Justice Alito would have wanted it to in February. So there's still a lot we don't know. We think we know some things, but with the court, you never know until you get that decision. All right. Uh, Daniel Bennett's going to remain with us. We're going to talk next about the election of Maya Flores in Texas and the shifting demographics of the GOP. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Daniel Bennett from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. 
Daniel, I was um, fascinated by the election of Maya Flores in a particular congressional um, seat in Texas. Talk with us about um, about Maya Flores and what it, what you think it tells us about the shifting demographics, both of the of the Democratic Party, but also of the GOP. Yeah, so uh, we hear uh, for for the last several decades uh, in the Democratic Party, demographics is destiny. This is the mantra that's been out there. And the thought process is as the country becomes less white in terms of our uh, in terms of racial demographics, uh, that shift towards more majority minority society will benefit the Democratic Party. Um, given the party's focus on immigration and, and social safety spending, et cetera. What we're seeing with the election of Ms. Flores and other uh, candidates, uh, especially in Texas, uh, where, where there's a lot of Latino and Latina candidates, uh, is that that mantra is not necessarily true. Uh, we're seeing uh, Latino, uh, we're seeing Hispanic communities vote uh, in, in, in the last few elections uh, shifting toward the Republican Party in certain areas. This doesn't mean that they're going to be staunch Republicans and the Republicans can then sit back and say, well, we've uh, we've we've figured things out. We've cracked this code. But it does at least put a, a crack in that demographics is destiny argument for Democrats. And it should be a wake up call to them to say, well, look, we can't just count on shifting further and further left on policy and assume that these racial minority groups are always going to stick with us. So I, I'm recalling um, a particular uh, politician who was, you know, looking at an African-American person, but because that African-American person was not going to vote in alignment um, with a particular agenda of their party, they said to the person, you're not black. Like it, yeah. it, it is an interesting um, it is an interesting test for some people who do believe somehow that demographics um, are destiny in terms of voting instead of people actually voting based on their personal convictions, regardless of the right. color of their skin, their gender. I mean, you know, wh- whatever. It's a uh, I think it's an interesting time. And I think that, um, you know, I want to be encouraging and supportive of um, of people who are voting um, and and standing up for their convictions. And where that leads, regardless of yeah. of what other people might expect um, of them. So, well, in, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, voting is a really complex process. It, it it can't be boiled down to which party is better on immigration or abortion or taxes or environmentalism. Uh, if, I mean, just within the Hispanic community, uh, you'd see huge uh, sh- you see huge breaks between those who identify as Hispanic Catholics versus Hispanic Evangelicals in terms of support for the Republican Party. And uh, just like it'll be a wake up call for the Democratic Party moving forward, I think Republicans can't then sit back on their laurels and say, well, we're going to get these Hispanic voters because of X, Y and Z issues. Parties should always be innovating, I think, and finding ways to appeal to more and more of our electoral coalitions. And I think what we're seeing in Texas is the reality of that. It's very much up for grabs. All right. Let's take a couple of minutes to talk about what we have um, learned just in the last week about um, the experience and the role of Vice President Mike Pence on January 6th. Um, you know, we've learned some things from the January 6th committee in terms of their uh, their public hearings, but I really want to focus on just the power of one person. And um, he was under intense pressure 
Um, and yet, you know, he did what was before him to do um, in, in terms of doing the right thing. So just interested in your reflections on all of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with, with all of the, with all of the vitriol and the, and the, uh, back and forth on the January 6th commission, it's, it's sometimes hard or sometimes easy rather to miss those smaller moments. Or like you said, the power of a single person, regardless of the criticism that was lobbied against president or a vice president Pence during, uh, that process from former president Trump and his allies. Again, the reality was, and Mike Pence knew this because he was consulting with lawyers who took their position seriously. There was nothing the vice president can do to shift or to disallow certain slates of electors from states. That job falls to members of Congress to do. Uh, and frankly, Congress didn't have the, the votes to do that in this last election. The vice president's role has always been one of ceremony and maintaining a sense of order. Um, our system doesn't really make sense if the, if the sitting vice president can basically throw out electors that, that he or she doesn't like, uh, presumably to benefit his or her boss. Um, but we see this with, with Vice President Pence. Just how much worse could things have been and how much more chaotic could the situation have been if the vice president had seen things differently, had started to say, well, no, I'm not accepting these electors from Arizona, actually. I, I do buy this argument that these are these are wrongly accepted uh, electoral uh, slates. Um this this would lead to a not only a legal crisis but potentially a constitutional crisis, and so something as simple as being firm in your convictions and saying, "Look, I know I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to attract a lot of criticism and and potentially uh, the the potential for violence as well. Um, I know what the right thing is, and I'm going to do it because I know it's right. Uh, and and so I, I think we need more people like that for uh, like Mike Pence even if we don't agree with all aspects of his politics, those are the types of characters that we need in our system of government. So helpful. Thank you so much. Um, Daniel, I noticed uh, that um, on the Uneasy Citizenship blog, you have given us a summer reading list. So <laughs> I encourage people to check that out as well. That's Daniel Bennett. He's working on a book. So let's be praying, um, praying for him. You can find him at John Brown University or the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Daniel, as always, thanks so much. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. We're having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. I'm not sure it's a tropical heat wave. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. And yeah. It's um, it's hot. If you, you know what? Maybe you are somewhere today that it's not hot. Actually, We'd love to hear from you. I, I'm very jealous of our our listeners in Hartford, where it's going to be nicely in the 70s. I mean, you couldn't ask for better. But oh, no. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. No, we're going to be but roasting I, I, in the Midwest. <laughs> um, if you're somewhere that it is cool today, um, yeah, today's the day you should have invited us to be where you are. Um, always love to hear from you. The text line is always open eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. It is a heat wave uh, across much of the United States of America, praying for people who are um, really needing rain. We got lots of places across the country where you know the seeds are in the ground and the uh, uh, the little heads of uh, of grain are just popping up or corn and. We need a little rain. We could we could use that. So oh, I'm, they're more than popping up. I got all kinds of like weather garden. prayers. Yeah, I know. Po- yes, more than popping up. But I'm thinking that weather prayers are 
It'd be good. Are be are good. So, um, do you do that? Do you pray weather prayers? I I pray weather prayers. Um, I uh, I pray for people traveling. I pray for farmers. I pray for people who, for one reason or another, are fearful. I pray for people who live unsheltered. I pray for people who don't have um, transportation, reliable transportation, and um, are having to, you know, get themselves from one place to another um, in when the weather is bad. So, uh, you know, the the weather leads me to all kinds of. Uh, of prayers. And let me encourage you to be praying weather prayers, um, whether the weather is lovely where you are today or if it's not. And if it's uncomfortably hot, just consider that it's not nearly as uncomfortably hot here as it is in hell. This is my, this is my uncomfortably hot conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, again, uh, it may be uncomfortably hot where you are. Let's uh, have that be an opportunity for us to turn our attention to the Lord, our God. Let us be extending a cup of cool water, even living water, to people who need it. Let's be praying ardently for people living in places in the world where they cannot find shade and where there is little hope of, uh, of the heat wave coming to an end. There are places around the world where it is, it is un- literally unbearably, unlivably hot. And so let's be uh, turning our prayers uh, and our prayerful attention in those directions today as well. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. You're listening to Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.